Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, The Stars, The Word, and Jesus. This morning, I want to give you a presentation that I call The Stars, The Word, and Jesus. Amen? Now, I gave this presentation on Christmas Eve two years ago, and I felt like it was time to take it off the shelf, spruce it up a little bit, and give it to you again. After all, there's many new people here that haven't heard this. Amen. So I'm going to take a bit of science and augment the scriptures, and I'm going to take a look at the stars, and in particular, the mysterious star of Bethlehem, and we're going to learn some things that we didn't know before. Amen. And perhaps some of what I'm going to share this morning is conjecture or just uh, my speculation, but I think it's at least informed speculation, amen, about the mysterious star of Bethlehem and even about stars in general. I want to begin with a conversation that Abraham and God had as they looked into the desert night sky shortly after he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Everybody familiar with that story when Abraham was 75 years old? God said, I'm calling you out of your homeland, and I'm moving you to a new homeland. Amen. And then as he's moving towards Canaan, uh, one night the Lord says, come out of the tent and look at the stars. I want to talk to you. Amen. Let's do the next slide. All right. Praise the Lord. This is awesome. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. I wanted you to get a picture of what that must have looked like for Abraham. Amen. Amen. Uh, In the desert night sky without much light pollution, if any, in those days, Abraham would have been able to see anywhere from six to eight thousand stars with the naked eye. How many know that even though there's six to eight thousand that can be counted, it's still hopeless to try and count them. Amen. But that didn't include the number of stars that Abraham couldn't see. The visible universe, that is the universe we can see with our eyes and with the aid of technology, is a bubble with the earth at the center that stretches out in all directions about 14 billion light years. And let me remind you that a light year is a distance. It's the distance that light travels in a year roughly 6 trillion miles. So we're talking about a bubble or a sphere with the earth at its center, and we can see out about as far as 14 billion light years in all directions. Amen. And within that sphere, with the aid of technology, we've been able to count the number of stars. And we come up with the number 10 to the 22nd. If you remember back in the science courses that you took in high school or in college, that is scientific notation. What it means is 10 with 22 zeros behind it. That is a number that is pretty inconceivable to the natural mind. Amen. It is, just so you know where that number came from, 100 billion galaxies times an average of 100 billion stars in each of the galaxies. 100 billion times 100 billion is the number 10 to the 22nd. Amen. 
But that didn't include the number of stars that are beyond that bubble, beyond our current capability to see, even with the aid of technology. Isn't that awesome? Whew. Glory to God. Needless to say, you could spend millions of years trying to count them, and you would never come close to counting them all. The seemingly infinite vastness of the stars is a picture I want you to see, Abraham, of you and your descendants. Too numerous to count. Absolutely beyond your ability to conceive with your natural mind. That's why I'm giving you a visual aid to help you understand the enormity of the destiny that I have planned for you. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So let me tell you a little bit about Abraham's background. Abraham came from the culture of the Chaldeans who worshiped the sun, the moon, the planets, and the stars. And they believed that the moon god, Nana, was the greatest of all the gods. I got a slide of the temple of Nana. This is a picture, an actual picture of the excavated ziggurat at Ur, which is where Abraham came from, and this was the temple to the god Nana. And it's fitting that there's a moon that's eclipsing in the background there. So this is still standing today, so this is pretty good evidence that the story of Abraham coming out of Ur of the Chaldees was not only rooted in biblical accuracy, but also archaeological accuracy. Amen. Hallelujah. The Chaldeans used this temple, this observatory, if you will, to study the stars, but not because they wanted to pursue the creator of the stars. They wanted to worship the moon, the sun, the planets, and the stars. And they used the technology that they had for the pursuit of astrology, which is a perversion of legitimate astronomy. Essentially, it's a worship of the heavens instead of worshiping the one who made the heavens. Amen. This is the culture in which Abraham was raised. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus wrote that Abraham was a gifted astronomer and mathematician. Now, as one that has a background in math and science and Ph.D. in engineering, I can appreciate an educated man even one that lived 4,000 years ago. Amen. Hallelujah. Unfortunately, Abraham's father, Terah, was a maker of idols and raised him in the culture of the Chaldeans, which was the worship of the moon, the sun, the planets, and the stars. So I think it's likely that Abraham spent the better part of the first part of his life, his first 75 years, worshiping the heavens Instead of worshiping the one who made the heavens. Amen. But something happened in the life of Abraham. At some point, Abraham must have rejected the gods of Ur and turned to pursue the one who created the sun, the moon, the planets, and the stars. Amen. The creator God. And he began to seek him through the canvas of the stars, the thing that had no doubt captivated him since he was a boy. I think that's awesome. God will use the very thing that fascinates us the most 
to draw us closer to Him. Amen. I don't know anybody who isn't fascinated to some level by the stars. Just the vastness of them. The seemingly infinite expanse of the universe. It makes everybody wonder. Amen. Hallelujah. It makes everybody wonder, did all of this just happen by some cosmic accident? Or was it by design? Was it with intelligence and was it with purpose? Well, Psalm 19, 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Amen. In other words, all you got to do is look at something like this and say, You know what? It doesn't make any sense at all that this just happened by accident. This is the Andromeda galaxy, and it's 200 million light years away from us. But we can still see it with the aid of technology. And I tell you what, every time I see Andromeda, I say, praise be to the Creator God who made this vast expanse of the universe and let us see it. Amen. Glory to God. Verse 2 and 3 go on to say, Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Amen. Now listen, let me just camp there for just a minute. That means if you look at this gas nebula that's millions of light years out there in deep space, it is speaking to you something. And it's speaking that something day after day, night after night. And the thing that the heavens are declaring is that God is real and He's the one who made all of this that you see. And it says there's no language, there's no ethnic group, there's no country, there's no people who do not understand what the heavens are saying. They may say they don't believe in God, but in fact, they're just suppressing the reality that on the inside, they know that they know this was no accident and God exists. Amen. Glory to God. That's why Romans chapter 1 says, when people come before God and they say, well, I was taught that God didn't exist and science said this and science said that, God will say, you have no excuse. Did you look at my creation and see the wonders behind everything that I made. Because if you did, you would have known on the inside that I am God. And I am the Creator. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Alright, I want to shift for just a few minutes. Actually, for the bulk of the rest of the presentation. I want to shift to the Magi and the Star of Bethlehem. Since we're on the subject of stars, let's zero in for just a few minutes here on the star of Bethlehem. There has literally been thousands of years of speculation and discussion about this topic. Amen. Questions like this. Was the star of Bethlehem a divinely orchestrated astronomical event? A convergence of planets and stars moving in and out of well-known constellations letting us know where and when the king of kings was about to be born? Or was it a comet that appeared suddenly in the night sky that somehow guided the magi to the toddler Jesus? Was it a natural event? 
or was it a supernatural event or was it a little bit of both? Well, I spent a few years studying the star of Bethlehem, meditating on it, seeking the Lord for wisdom about this mysterious star. And I come at it from a completely different perspective. I ask this question. What if the star, quote unquote, in Matthew chapter 2, wasn't a star at all? Or any other naturally occurring phenomena that we would be familiar with? So let's read through the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2 and see what we can learn. Amen. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king... Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. I stop right there. This is a little funny side note, but every time I see Bethlehem in the Bible or I sing it in a song, it reminds me of when Trish and I were in Israel years ago. I was with the Marines and the carrier that I was flying off of was in port in Haifa, Israel. We got a couple of weeks of shore leave, so I flew my wife over and we spent some time in Israel. And I remember we went to the city of Bethlehem and we were looking for directions to get there. And I asked this guy who was an Arabic man how to get to Bethlehem. And he went, Bethlehem? You mean Bethlehem? And I'm like, that's the place. You know. <laughs> Bethlehem, you know. Okay, show me which way to get to that place. Anyway, so... It's a little funny side note. You know how my brain works. Anyway, so speaking of the Magi, or the wise men, or whatever term you want to use for them, it is believed that the Magi came from ancient Persia and were steeped in the Chaldean culture of astronomy that dated back to the days of Ur and Abraham. And while most used this knowledge in the pursuit of astrology, there were some, it seemed, that used it to seek their creator. Some believed the Magi were Zoroastrians, priests of a monotheistic religion that originated in ancient Persia, influenced by the teachings of the prophet Daniel, the head of the Magi for two kingdoms. Some believe that they were influenced by his writings and they were looking for the coming Messiah that he spoke of. Think about it. If they were at least aware of the scroll of Daniel, which says in chapter 9 of our version, there's a 70 weeks prophecy there that actually prophesies the exact day that Jesus would walk through the beautiful gate on Palm Sunday one week before he was crucified. Daniel nails it down to the day. And I believe these Zoroastrians knew about that prophecy. That's why they knew that it was about time to look to the stars to see if there was any signs of the coming of the king of the Jews. And that's when they spotted the star of Bethlehem. Amen. Everybody with me so far? All right. Let's back up and read the whole thing in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east 
and are come to worship him. Amen. I believe there's a slide. So they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Isn't that awesome? Just think about that. That is so cool. So I want to start there and I start analyzing some of these verses here. We have seen his star rising in the east is the way that many translations translate this. But most of them translate it literally. They simply say, we have seen his star in the east. Not rising in the east, but in the east. And the preposition there in the Greek means that it's fixed in space and time. So I believe that during their observations of the heavens, that the Magi noticed a very unusual star, a star that suddenly appeared and was fixed, not moving across the heavens as the rest of them were. Think about it. All the planets, the sun and the moon and all the stars and all the constellations, they rise in the east and they set in the west. So they're constantly moving. So a star that wasn't moving got their attention. The only other star that they knew about that didn't move was Polaris, the North Star, and that's because it's aligned with our north-south axis and it doesn't move relative to us. Amen? This was a very unusual star and it got their attention. Amen? I believe it was the very fact that the star they saw remained fixed in the sky that got their attention. It did not rise in the east and set in the west, but suddenly appeared in the sky and remain fixed from the perspective of the Magi. Amen. The next thing we notice is that the Magi refer to this suddenly appearing star as his star. We have seen his star in the east. That is the one who is to be born king of the Jews. We have seen his star. Now how they knew that it was his star is a mystery. But again, I think they must have had some knowledge passed down through the legacy of the prophet Daniel. Amen. Amen. So let's pick it up at verse 3. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now let me slay a couple of sacred cows right here. If it was just three kings on three camels coming into the city of Jerusalem it would have attracted no attention from anybody. <laughs> you know, the reason that tradition says that there was three kings is there were three gifts given to Jesus, but there's no place in the scripture that says it had to be just three kings. It was no doubt a very large caravan equipped to travel all the way from ancient Persia to Jerusalem, and it created quite a buzz in the city when these people came in. And Herod was troubled. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, the city was in an uproar. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, or Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, Art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. 
Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Now, this verse makes it clear to me that the star appeared suddenly. It wasn't one of the naturally occurring comets or planets that we saw traverse from east to west across the horizon. It was something that appeared suddenly. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Yeah, right. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Amen for that. So let me return to the question I asked earlier. What if the star of Matthew chapter 2 wasn't a star at all? Or any other naturally occurring phenomena that we might be familiar with? Now with that as my premise, we're going to go on a journey. A journey that I go into detail on in my book, Reflections of Space and Time. Finding God and Finding Direction in Life. And if you haven't read the book and you're interested in reading the book, you can go to Amazon Kindle, and you can get it for like $6 and some change. It came out in 2012. It spent a year and a half in the top three at Amazon Kindle in science and religion. And uh, for an unknown author, I thought that was pretty awesome. Okay. Amen. Anyway, I go into all of this in detail. You're going to get the Reader's Digest condensed version. Uh, and uh, I just want to warn you ahead of time. There is a bit of science and mathematics involved here. I'm going to run through it really quickly. Uh, I don't expect you to follow all of it, but I promise you if you just kind of hang with me as I go through this, I will bring it down to a bottom line that you'll be able to understand and believe. Amen? All right. For the star that they saw to appear fixed or motionless in the sky it actually had to be moving in such a way that it matched the rotational velocity of the earth. It had to be moving to appear fixed. For the purposes of a few calculations, I estimated the distance traveled by these wise men to be about 1,200 miles. If you travel due east from Jerusalem for a distance of 1,200 miles, it places you in the central part of ancient Persia. Now, modern-day Iran. Now, I'll spare you the details, but I found that for an object to remain fixed above the city of Jerusalem from 1,200 miles to the east, it would have to be traveling at about 900 miles per hour at an altitude of about 125 miles above a point on the 32nd degree north latitude line. But listen to me. 900 miles an hour is far too slow for a natural object to maintain any kind of orbit at 125 miles. The space shuttle, when it was flying, would orbit at 125 miles 
and it would require a speed of 17,500 miles an hour just to maintain that orbit. So this thing was moving much slower than it should have been if it was a naturally occurring object in orbit around the earth. Everybody with me? Amen. That was, that's the hardest part. Everything else is downhill. <laughs> Furthermore, natural and man-made objects orbit the earth around its center of mass, not around the 32nd parallel. That would be wonky. It just doesn't happen. So as the Magi got closer and closer to Jerusalem, the object would actually have to gradually fly lower and slower over the 32nd parallel to remain just above the horizon and serve as a means of navigation for the Magi. Once the Magi reached Jerusalem, the object would have had to come to a halt and hover over the city for them to see it. Amen? So it got them to Jerusalem. So why did I do all these calculations? What was the point? Just so that you could impress us, Brother Scott? No. I've got an inquiring mind, and I like to put my science background to work. The whole point of all of this is to show that there is no way that this object could behave the way that it did if it were a naturally occurring phenomena. No way. It had to be of supernatural origin. Many times scripture uses the word stars as a metaphor for the angels of God. Amen. Over there in Revelation chapter 12, 4, it says that the devil took one third of the stars of heaven with him when he was cast out of heaven. That's talking about all the stars, all the angels that sided with him. I believe the star of Bethlehem was an angel of the Lord, perhaps even the angel of the Lord who shined with such glory that he appeared to be a star in the heavens. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Now remember back in verse 9, the, the Magi find out from the Scripture that the king they sought was to be born in Bethlehem. Herod had his men look it up in the Bible, and they said, it's Bethlehem where he will be born. Here's the clincher. Then the star went before them. It means it had to have stopped over Jerusalem when they got the scriptural evidence. Then it moved five miles south to Bethlehem and it hovered over the house where the toddler Jesus was. There's another uh, sacred cow I'm going to slay. If you look at the time involved, Jesus was actually about two years old when the wise men arrived. So he was a toddler. And that why, that's why it says young child. It doesn't say the baby Jesus. It says the young child. And you look that up in the Greek and it means a toddler. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So the star went before them and led them five miles south to Bethlehem until it stood over the place where the young child was. Listen to me. Stars simply do not behave that way. They do not went. And they do not stand over anything. But angels can, and angels do, amen. So there's one more question that I had. So how exactly did the Magi find the toddler Jesus an impossible task, even in the tiny village of Bethlehem? How did they find him? Well, I believe 
that the angel led them to Bethlehem and then shined a beacon of some kind down to the house, just like you see in the postcards and just like you see in this next slide. To let them know exactly where to go to find the toddler Jesus. And here's some more speculation, but again, it's informed speculation. And I believe that this beacon was only available or only could be seen by those who were truly seeking the king of kings. Anybody who had any nefarious ideas about slaying the child, I don't believe they were able to see the beacon. If they were, they would have easily located Jesus and it would have been disaster. So this has been a very lengthy process getting here, but one of the questions it answers is this. What about people who live in cultures who never heard of the Bible or who never heard of Jesus? What about them? How will they come to know the Lord? How will they come to know Jesus is Lord and Savior? Well, the answer is this. Listen, in the case of Abraham and the Magi, they both came out of cultures that worshiped many gods, pagan cultures, yet they had a heart to seek out the living God, the true creator of the heavens. Isn't that right? And because they were truly seeking him, they found him. And God went to extraordinary lengths to lead them to a knowledge of his existence. And in the case of the Magi, to lead them to Jesus the Christ, the one that would save all mankind. Extraordinary lengths. It doesn't bother me at all to think that God could have put a little laser beam up there with the angel and he just went, you know, or whatever the angels use when they put a beacon on something so that the ones that were looking for him, like the shepherds, like the magi could find him and the ones that were looking for him for the wrong reason could not. Amen. Isn't God good? Hallelujah. So Here's the progression. God will use the creation to draw unbelievers to himself if they're truly seeking him. Then he'll lead them to the word. And inevitably, the word will lead them to Jesus. Amen. Isn't that right? I'm going to share a testimony that will sort of be a really good capstone on this whole teaching. Trish and I were at a minister's conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma, years ago. And we met a man from India there. His name was Brother James. He was a little brown man about this tall who oversaw a thousand churches in India. And at the time had raised 25 people from the dead. So he was acquainted with the supernatural. And Brother James was sharing with us in this minister's meeting that he grew up in India as a Muslim. And he grew up being taught that Islam was the, was the religion that he needed to adhere to and that Allah and Muhammad and all of that was the true path of the believer. But he never, he said, I never bought it, even as a young boy. It didn't make any sense to me, and I never bought it. It never took root in my soul. I always questioned who the real God was. And so he began to go out into the jungle at night, and wouldn't you know, he would look at the stars of the heavens, and he would say, 
Creator God, the one who made all these stars, if you are real, reveal yourself to me. And after doing this for a couple of weeks, he was out in the jungle under the stars and Jesus Christ appeared to him. He said, I am Jesus, the living God. And Brother James said, how can I learn more about you, Jesus? I've never heard of you. Jesus said to him, I want you to find somebody who has a Bible written in your language and read that Bible and it'll tell you everything about me that you need to get saved. Isn't that interesting that Jesus appeared in a vision and led him to the word of God? That's awesome. So Brother James says, that's wonderful. I'm sure I can find somebody that has a Bible written in my language, but uh, there's just one problem. I don't know how to read. So get this. Now, this is, this is a man that I've met personally, and I heard this firsthand, and my wife was with me, and she's my witness. He said, all right, if you'll come to the jungle at such and such a time every day, Bring that Bible with you. I will teach you to read. Jesus taught him to read. From reading his Bible in his natural tongue, in his native tongue. Needless to say, it wasn't too much longer before he became born again and filled with the Holy Ghost. Again, I say now that's a modern story of what we've been talking about. That's a modern, updated edition of what happened to Abraham and what happened to the Magi. But it illustrates the same basic point. God will go to extraordinary lengths for those who are truly seeking Him. He will. So don't worry about the people in these remote tribes in the jungle that have never heard of the Bible, never heard of Jesus. If they're truly seeking Him, they will find Him. God will make a way. He will reveal himself to them. And he will point them to the word and the word will point them to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me conclude by saying this. Let's remember the wonderful story of the birth of Jesus. Even with all the science that I've attached to it. And let's draw closer to God during this Christmas season. Realizing that he gave the greatest gift of all so that all men could know him. And he'll go to extraordinary lengths to see to it that everybody knows him. Amen? Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, The Stars, The Word, and Jesus. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship, 10.30 for worship and service, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for spirit-filled prayer. If you would like to learn more about us and access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington. Faith Life Wilmington.